Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. Another great week for soccer in this country. The Seattle Sounders win the MLS Cup, and we're joined by Chris Henderson, longtime member of the U.S. national team. He made the 90 World Cup team as a youngster, was on the 92 Olympic team, won a national championship at UCLA, won an MLS Cup at Kansas City as a player, 12 years at Seattle as the vice president of soccer and sporting director. Chris Henderson, number 19 with the U.S. national team, is up first as they celebrate yet another MLS Cup title great crowd in Seattle another Chris, Chris Rich top man for UNC Greensboro in his first year, got the call about a few days before preseason started that UNCG needed a coach based on some problems of the coach they had just hired Chris Rich said yes and now Chris Rich is just a Southern Conference tournament game away from making the NCAA tournament in his first season as a head coach can he get it done? Kobe Hale, eight great years at Arkansas, seems to have the Razorbacks in the NCAA tournament every year, no different this year. He joins me, and then Sean Hudson is the head coach, third year, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, the Mountain Lions, D2, 19-0, that's right, 19-0, they've scored 66 goals, they've given up just eight, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, women's soccer coach, Sean Hudson by way of Wales, where she appeared for her national team at the age of 16. You'll like her as well. Great show, and it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Now, here's Dean. I am Dean Linky, and we kick off this week's show with one of my favorite all-time players ever. I was with him with the 92 Olympic team. He was with the national team pole, a member of the 90 World Cup team. He played with five teams in Major League Soccer. When he left, he was the leader in games playing and games started. He's a Hall of Famer. His name is Chris Henderson, and he's the VP and Sporting Director for Seattle Sounders. Another record crowd and another trophy for the Seattle Sounders. They win the MLS Cup on Sunday. Big parade actually coming this week as this show airs on Thursday. My main man, Chris Henderson, the guy still looks exactly the same, as good-looking as ever. Chris Henderson joins me now. Chris, thanks for being with me. Yeah, it's great to catch up with you, Dean. We go way back, almost 30 years now, but it's it's great to be on the show, and um, you're doing a great job. And, yeah, things are things are crazy here in Seattle right now. It's an exciting time for the city and, and especially our club and the history back from the 70s. So, yeah, it's going to be a big week for us here. Well, yeah, you've got the parade, you've got another title, but let's just go back to Sunday because, look, you guys have been a staple for winning, but it just feels like we are going over a tipping point of another tipping point of great success in this league. You were part of the early days when we needed the village people to get folks to come out to Mile High Stadium. Do you remember that? Now, Chris, it is just incredible 
try to put into words as you soak up another MLS Cup title. But for me, just as important, the crowd, the atmosphere, the thousands of people that couldn't get in that were still having a good time. Yeah, I mean, it, you think back to the early years in the 90s and the, and the tough years in the early 2000s where the league was barely surviving by three owners. And now you have these billionaire owners, the, the expansion fees continue to rise. Um, you know, we have a new ownership group here with 12 new owners, and, and some of them have huge star power. So uh, the league is in a completely different place. It keeps growing. And, you know, for all of us who, who were pioneers in the early years and the first years of MLS, it's so great to see, and, and uh, clubs keep growing. And I think being able to have MLS teams that are, are relevant in their local market, and I think that's what we focused on here when we started with the partnership with the Seahawks, we wanted to be relevant and, and eventually be a global club. But um, all those little steps, the fans have been amazing, and now you're seeing it pop up all over the country. And it's, it's, it's great to see as a soccer fan in, in general just the, how fast our league is growing. What do you attribute the on-field success to besides the sporting director and VP of soccer for the club? I mean, it's just been a model of consistency. I mean, I've known Brian Schmetzer since the USL days, you know, like, and and here he is winning again, and now you've got Garth and you, and, I mean, the on-field success, here's the thing, Chris, I feel like your club would still get great crowds even if you didn't have it, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Talk about the on-field success of your club. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been fortunate that we have we have full commitment from our ownership. Adrian Hanauer grew up here. He loves the club. He grew up following the club. So he's really committed, and he's, he's involved, I wouldn't say daily, but weekly. He's around the group asking questions, really excited about the team. So that's the consistency that we've had. We've had two coaches, Biggie Schmidt and Brian Schmetzer, um, Brian grew up playing for the Sounders, mostly indoor, but he was he was part of the club. He's a history of the club, um, and I think uh, the front office, the management side, has also been consistent. I think having that um, trust from ownership has helped us build something here, um, and, and it doesn't feel like we're doing anything different the years we we go all the way or the years we get knocked out of the playoffs. We're just trying to be consistent. Um, we have really hard-working, humble people who um, who are, are trying to be successful every day. And I think when, when we recruit players into our market, they know how important it is um, to be part of the Sounders culture, be involved in the community, um, come in every day, be innovative, try and, try and do the best you can every single day to improve yourself. And I think it, it kind of permeates throughout the club. And I think having people who grew up here and know the history of the Sounders since 74 really helps the culture of the club. Well, you've always had so much pride in that area where you grew up right there around Seattle, even as you were winning a national championship at UCLA and winning an MLS Cup with Kansas City and having great success at Colorado, five total clubs in MLS. You always talked about what a great community it was. So you did that one year at Sporting KC as a coach. When you had the chance to go back there to be a part of the management team and take on this role, tell me what it meant to you and to your family. Yeah, after I retired from playing and, and uh, I spent that time as an assistant coach, I, 
you know, you know Peter Vermes well. I played with him on three different teams in 10 years with the national team. And I watched what he was doing, and he was really open, sharing things. And I learned so much that year that when the opportunity came to come back home and, and be part of the club that I grew up following, um, it was fantastic. My parents are here. My two brothers, Sean and Pat, are here. Um, I met my wife here. So, um you know, it's great for our family to be able to be here. We've been here for 12 years now. I got two kids through high school here, and now they're in college. So um, I've been really fortunate to be at a really good club that I love working for and that my family's had some consistency and stability after moving around quite a bit as a player. Going back to the fans, uh, we record this on Tuesday, the day of the parade. And, again, the thousands that were outside of the stadium, you know the parade is going to be massive. I mean, what is it about these fans in this community? Because, look, there's other markets. Atlanta has shown it. Portland has shown it. And, you know, there's a lot of great markets, Chris, but it's hard to top Seattle, I mean, year after year, right, with the fan base? It is, it is, and I think, uh, it, you know, when we came into MLS uh, in 2009, the, the jump from the USL Sounders to MLS, it was almost like everyone here said, oh, now we're in Major League, and it just clicked, and Seattle is is um, a very interesting city, it's, it's kind of counterculture, and it's... Um, the people are very proud, and you, I know everyone will be surprised. The parade is today is pouring down rain, which it usually doesn't here, but today it's going to be a, another another moment where tens of thousands of people are going to come out and stand in the rain and cheer for the team that just won it. So it's just a huge commitment from our fans, and that connection between our players and our fans is something I've never seen before. In, you know, 30 years of doing this, um, this connection is so special. Well, that connection has led more and more cities and more and more billionaires to want to be involved. Before we started uh, recording today, we talked about Charlotte looking to be the front runner for 30 teams. 30. If you remember, Colorado was the 10th <laughs> team named out of 10 teams back in 1995 with the launch in 1996. And it felt like difficult to get to 10, 30 teams, Chris. As you sit back and reflect on the amazing growth of this league, what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Dean, you were you were with us before the '94 World Cup, the '92 Olympics, and uh, the state of the game to where it was then. And then in '96, when we began, um, you know, we were just so excited at that point to have a, a pro league in our country. And that first year was fun. All the players were coming back. Everyone was working around the clubs trying to build this game. And I think, you know, we spent all those early years just trying to build the game, you know, going and doing appearances at grocery stores and gas stations and trying to spread the game. And now the players come in and, um, you know, they're walking into a completely different environment, fully professional clubs with amazing facilities, amazing stadiums, um, uh, fan following, and it's going throughout the country. Um, you know, we have at our games, there is teams, uh, scouts from the Bundesliga, Premier League at every single game looking at our players. So the next phase is trying to hold on to our players, especially I think here in Seattle and, and the other, other clubs in MLS, because, uh, European clubs are looking to, to buy young players out of our league, and that's a huge step for our league moving forward that the quality of the league is high enough 
they see the value, and and the league as a whole is growing so fast. We're hearing the great Chris Henderson, one of the all-time best to wear the red, white, and blue. As I told you earlier, a national champion at UCLA, a professional champion as a player, a multi-time professional champion as a top-level official for the Seattle Sounders. And now he might be the dad of a future champion. His daughter is a sophomore at Louisville. So, Chris, I live in ACC country. Tell me about the decision (laughs) for your oldest daughter, Anna, to pick Louisville and go ACC. Oh, it's a, it's a fantastic school. The, um, you know, she is, uh, so happy there playing for Karen. Uh, I think Karen's experience on the women's national team in the early 90s, um, and you knew many of the players on those great, uh, women's U.S. teams. Um, you know, she's learning so much. They've had a really good year, um, pretty much stayed in the top 20 all year. And the ACC is one of the best conferences for women's college soccer. So, um, she's, she's learning a great deal and happy and, and as a father, as long as your kids are happy, life is good. That's so well said. And now you've got a two-year-old, so let's see if that two-year-old ends up in ACC country or if he stays out on the West, because I gotta believe the UCLA Bruins might have a shot at him, no? <laughs> I don't know, because when my two-year-old is in college, I'm going to be limping limping onto campus. So I'm just happy to uh, spend every day with him and coming home. It's just a joy having, having a little guy in my life again. Well, speaking of joys, what about the fact that everywhere you go, uh, you see, whether it's on TV, whether it's on the sideline, like a Peter Vermees or in other front offices, players that uh, were with you in the early days of U.S. soccer on that Olympic team, on that World Cup team in 90 when, when you made history as being one of the youngsters on that squad, on all of your MLS teams. I mean, you can't get away from any of us, Chris, as uh, all of us have tried to stay involved in the game. What's that feeling like? Yeah, it's great. There's just such a cool fraternity of guys who kind of went through and had the same experiences. Just talking to you and we talked pre-show um, some of the stories we share and the history we have together, uh, you can never take that away. The times you played, especially the times you had success and won, you know, Peter Burmese, I saw Marcelo Balboa the other day, um, you know, I talked to Kurt Inolfo. I mean, I could go on and on of players I used to play with that uh, I just stay in contact with, and it's it's great to, to share the game and, and talk about where it is today and, um, and where it's going you know, the future where it's going. And I'm so happy to see um, so many guys in the game who are giving back and contributing and having success and helping this game get to a new level. And um, we all went through some hard times in in building this game, and um, it's gone for generations. And, you know, we're in a really good spot now that we need to continue and and give back. Well, and I think that will be my final question because we are in a good spot. But, Chris, I see no signs of Major League Soccer slowing down and for that matter the Seattle Sounders slowing down I mean the future as bright as it is right now it's even brighter down the road isn't it yeah I think so I think it's it, it you know around the world when we go out to scout or you're, you're at conferences everyone is asking questions about our league there is a business the structure um, uh, the quality of the play and the improvement they all want a, a piece of it and a part of it and I, I think it's uh it's fun to be part of that, and I think we need to just continue to work hard, be humble, um, and you always got to learn. You know, every year gets harder and harder as, as teams get better, and, 
and improve, it, it's going to be harder and harder to have success in this league. And especially if we get up to 30 teams, not as many teams are going to make the playoffs every year. So, um, you know, you celebrate the victories when you have them, but then the next day it's back to hard work and preparing for the next season. I love it. Chris Henderson, anytime I see a number 19 anywhere, no matter what sport it is, I think of Chris Henderson, the all-time greatest number 19 ever. Chris, congrats on another MLS Cup title and your brilliant career. Thanks for spending time with us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dean. It's always great to catch up with you. You do a really good job. Appreciate it. Chris Henderson, another one of those folks that if you meet him, you love him. He's just good people all the way around. And what an honest, hardworking soccer player doing the same in the front office. Twelve years now with the Seattle Sounders. Amazing, amazing success. We're going to stick with the Chris's. Chris Rich. That's right. Chris Rich is the head coach of the UNC Greensboro men's soccer team. He got the job late July, had no time to prepare, and he's got his team in the SOCON Tournament Championship game, one game away from making the NCAA Tournament. They'll play Mercer on Sunday with a chance at the big dance, and he barely had a chance to even breathe when he took over the job. Chris Rich, top man, UNC Greensboro men's soccer team. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. So great to spend time with Chris Henderson. One of the legendary players for U.S. soccer and yet another victory for him and the Seattle Sounders. It is tournament time for men and women, so we're pleased to be joined by Chris Rich in his first season as the head coach for UNC Greensboro. He's got his team in his conference final. What a story he is. He got the call late to come to UNC Greensboro. We'll get more into that after great success at UNC Chapel Hill at Duke, Virginia Tech his alma mater, Barry, FIU, you name it. He's been there. He's done great things. And now Chris Rich in his first season without hardly any time to prepare has UNC Greensboro in the conference final coming up this weekend. And he's one of the all-around good guys of soccer. Chris, I've been dying to get you on the program, and you went out and did enough good things to get on the program. So thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. <laughs> That's great to hear, Dean, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so first off, remind everybody the story. Uh, you had originally interviewed for UNC Greensboro. They hired somebody. That didn't work out. You get a call late. Tell the story of how late and how quick you had to get things going. Yeah, um, so you know, I went through the process on the, on the first go around I think it started um, November late November 2018 you know I was one of I don't know eight candidates that the um, our athletic director was speaking to give or take and, and then I was brought on campus and did a full on-campus interview uh, myself and three others um, in January and then obviously they decided to to go with another candidate and um, Fast forward seven months later, uh, July, I think it was the last week in July, whenever it was, I was rece- I was on vacation, um, and I was receiving a phone call from the athletic director at UNCG, um, Tim Record, um, asking me if, you know, tell me what's happened and asking me if I'd be interested in the job. 
and and that was I think the last couple of days in July I was I was actually officially hired around the 28th um, right around there and announced right around that same date as well so just about two weeks prior to the season is when I started. So that's excitement, but it's also got to be nervous excitement because you know how hard it is to prep to be a great team because you're at North Carolina, you're at Duke, you're at Barry, the, the reigning D2 champs with Steve McGrath, where you're also an assistant coach. You know what it takes. So talk about, yeah, the excitement, but admit to me, please, you had a little bit of nervous anxiety. Oh, boy, and anxiety at the very least, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a whirlwind. Um, it's been it was crazy. I was thrown in the fire very quickly. You know, we had to I had to obviously meet the players, meet the staff that I did not know, um, and really didn't. I knew a lot about UNCG just by being an hour down the road at Duke and Chapel Hill before that. But you know, I didn't I didn't know how things were done. I didn't know much about the conference, um, so I kind of went. You know, I learned a lot during the initial interview process and then obviously kind of moved on from that, so I wasn't thinking about it. Then I, when I was thrown in the fire, yeah, it, it was crazy, um, overwhelming, full of anxiety, learning on the fly. Um, it was a crazy process, to say the least. And then the season kicked in, and then you re- really didn't have much time to think about anything except getting the team as prepared as possible, getting things organized and trying to implement your style of play and your way of doing things. And, just trying to take it day by day, I guess. So when did you know, Chris Rich, that, you know what, even though I didn't get a lot of time like everybody else, I think I can do some things with this team. When did it hit you like, hey, we're going to be okay? Yeah, so that's a good question. So I think in the beginning it was tough, to be honest. Um, you know, we played some very good teams early on. We played Clemson on the road, UNC at home in a four-day stretch. Uh, which was very challenging. I thought we were competitive. Um, we were just trying to get the, the team organized. So uh, in September, to be honest, I mean, I think we went, uh, I don't know, two, seven, and one or something like that in our first 10 or so games. So it was definitely a challenge. Um, and during that stretch, I was, I was learning the players. I was figuring out what their qualities were, both positive and negative, and, and the players were learning me. And I was trying to implement my, my style of play and compromising a little bit here and there and just mending it as we went. And then, for whatever reason, we just started getting better and better. In October, uh, we played uh, Davidson, and then we had a high point. I think it was yeah, Davidson away. We tied 1-1, but, you know, we were really, really good. And, and that was the first performance. I'm like, okay, I felt confident that I knew the team at that point, and I felt like the co- the team knew what I wanted as well. So and we tied that game, didn't get the result, but we played very well. We play the next game against High Point, and we actually lose 1-0, but I thought we were excellent. So it was another performance. And then after that, things started clicking. I think we've, you know, we, we um, I don't know, 7-1 to wrap up the last eight games, or 8-1 to wrap the, the next games, you know, won the regular season in the conference, at least we were co-champions with Furman. Um, so we started clicking in October. So I would answer your question, I'd say right around the beginning of October. All right, so get us up to speed. Remind us uh, what conference you play in, and then remind us who you play in the conference tournament championship game. Yeah, so we, we're in the Southern Conference. Uh, most people know it as the SOCON, um, which is a smaller league, about 17. And we play Mercer in, in the conference final. We just played Belmont in, in the conference semifinal this past weekend, 1-3-2 in overtime and we play Mercer at home on Sunday night. Sunday night at home and a win. You know what that means, Coach? A win 
get you in? Does it is it uh, based on your math and RPI? Does it take a win to guarantee a spot in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, yeah. So we're we're not an RPI team right now, you know, which is something that's a little bit different when I'm used to when I was at Duke and UNC and all these other places I was always focused on the RPI right um, you know every focusing on the other games the other teams that you played previously previously in the season hoping that could boost your RPI but for us right now at UNCG it's all about winning the conference winning the conference tournament getting that automatic bid you know that's what we're focused on right now please tell me that your phone is blowing up with support from the administration at UNCG from all of those that have touched you along the way as you prepare for this game on Sunday. Yeah, they've been great. Uh, well, you know, the administration has been great, very welcoming, to, 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 to be honest, and, and they knew I was in a tough situation. And uh, they were just, you know, my athletic director was just asking me to, to, to survive, <laughs> to survive the first bit of the season, the first season, and then obviously, you know, we have things kind of at least clicking um, for right now, so they're, they're very happy. And, you know, the alumni support is fantastic, which there's a lot of um, very passionate alums for UNCG soccer. And then, obviously, I have a lot of friends in the game, uh, previous places I've been, and also a lot of other uh, coaching friends that have been very supportive and, and very happy. In my humble opinion, you epitomize good things happening to good people. You also epitomize hard work. You know the value of assistant coaches. I doubt you had a whole lot of time to even have a ton of input initially on your coaching staff, but tell us what happened because here's a guy who's been one of the best assistant coaches in the country in Chris Rich. Now it's your job on short notice, almost no notice. How did you go about deciding who was going to be on your coaching staff, Coach? Yeah, it was an easy decision because I didn't really have one. <laughs> it, based on the timing, um, so there was a staff that was already put in place recently um, by the previous head coach, and, and and all three of them I kind of well, – one I knew a little bit about because I remember I remembered him when he was a player at SMU. One I, I, I had heard of or I'd met him at previously just because he was – uh, he just arrived at UNCG, so I met him. And, and another, the third, uh, our volunteer assistant coach, I, I didn't know him. Um, so really, the staff was already put in place, and, and by the time the season, start, you know, it was right before the season, I couldn't. I didn't want to add any more change uh, to to the program. And to be honest, my first objective was just to be a good human being first. So I didn't want to. Um, um, you know, to make a change with these guys when they, when they, you know, just last minute prior to the season, I didn't think that would be right. That wouldn't be right to them or the team. And, um, and to be honest, it's been great. They've been great with me, and the season's been going very well. They've obviously been learning on the fly in terms of what I want and what I need, and uh, we I've been figuring out on the fly kind of what they're good at or maybe some things they need to work on, but it's been very good so far. Well, we like dropping names, so go ahead and say the names of your coaching staff so we know who they are. Yeah, so our, my assistant coaching staff, Scott Wells, Jaime Arbara, and Taylor Morton. Talk about uh, what you felt like was the tipping moment. You did a great job explaining that tough schedule, 2 seven, one in the run, and knowing that you had a team that could get it done at the end. But what was the key tipping point of the season? You're we like, whoa, we got a team that could, in fact, win the SOCON tournament. Yeah, so when we – our first three games in the SOCON, we played uh, – um, BMI, we played um, Wofford, and we played Belmont, and those three, those are the three first games. And you know, we went into those games, we, we beat BMI 3-0, and then we, um, or well, 4-0, sorry, and we beat Wofford 3-0, and we beat um, Belmont 2-1. So we started off the year um, very good in the conference play. Now, 
I was looking at it, and I was like, okay, well, we still have Furman, we still have Mercer, we still have ETSU, which if you look at it, those have been the three teams I've, I've probably done the best in recent years. So I'm like, okay, we're 3-0, things are okay, but the, the more challenging games are probably more to come, um, even though every game is difficult in conference play in any conference. And, you know, then we, we went and beat uh, ETSU at home, on the road, 1-0, and, and I was like, okay, now we're – now we're close, and we, we lost a close match to Furman 1-0 and, and then beat uh, Mercer at home 2-0. So just little by little, we were adding um, more and more principles in the team. You know, we were getting more and more on the same page, and we were, we, there was just a lot of belief and a lot of confidence in the team. And I think it's hard to pinpoint one moment, but it's probably when we started, you know, facing more of the quote-unquote tougher teams and we were starting to get results. You've also had great moments as an assistant coach, as a player. You played for Steve McGrath. We love him on this program, particularly since Barry won the title last year. He was on the end of the season. He was on to start the podcast season for college soccer as well. John Kerr, you were at North Carolina. We love talking about mentors and memories. Uh, maybe sometimes they kind of mesh together, but talk about some of your great mentors and memories prior to arriving at UNCG. Yeah, um, uh, that's uh, I can go all day because I have so many people that impacted my life as a as a person and as a coach. Um, all of them are really my friends now and, and also mentors at the same time. You know, I, I had the privilege of starting my coaching career with Steve McGrath, who was a great human being, um, great person, was my coach, and also gave me my first opportunity to coach uh, in the college game. And he's been great, still a very very close friend of mine, Muga Ekatebi. That's probably one of the best people in the game. Um, now coached at Broward College, but was my head coach at the FIU. When I was down there in Miami, I also coached uh, the academy team, uh, Kendall, there. I coached with Matias Asori and Luchi Gonzalez, actually. Luchi's obviously the, the first-team coach at FC Dallas, and, and uh, Matias is now one of the academy coaches there. So they had a huge influence in my life. And, and then as I progressed up north, you know, I, I worked with Mike Brisendine at Virginia Tech, uh, myself and the staff there got very close, got the opportunity to move on to uh, UNC Chapel Hill, where, where Carlos Amuano, to me, was an uh, unbelievable tactician, um, so detail-oriented, as you've probably seen in his teams, in terms of how they play, very unique. I learned so much from him from the game, and I learned what it took to, to be successful at the highest level every single day. And then when I moved on to Duke, uh, unbelievable experience, John Kerr, um, fantastic person um you know he uh, did amazing things for me give me the opportunity the responsibility to just do a lot of duke and kind of learn as i went because at other places you know as an assistant coach you don't always get major roles in the program and you're always itching to do more with john um uh, very thankful for him he gave me a lot of opportunities to do a lot and, and i learned a lot from him probably and probably the biggest memory there was you know, Duke kind of made the NCAA tournament, I think, in five years, and we went on that run in 2017, got the, I think, the uh, fifth or sixth overall seed, and and winning the Sweet 16. That was a special moment for me in the program, and uh, and now now I'm here. So yeah, there's like five, six guys that all all my head coach and all coaches I've been able to work with, uh, but still very close to and, and very privileged to have had as uh, mentors and coaches. Finally, Chris, in our final 60 seconds here, I've seen you around the United Soccer Coaches Convention. What has the organization United Soccer Coaches meant to you in your development? Well, it's been huge because I, I'm also, and I'm not sure if I've told you this, Dean, I, I also work on the coaching education side. 
Um, so I, I do a lot on the, on the goalkeeper side and running a lot of the residential courses, actually, or helping run a lot of the residential courses. So United Soccer Coaches has given me an opportunity to, to learn and develop as a coach, but it's also given me the opportunity to teach me how to be a leader and a coaching instructor. So very grateful for the organization. They've, uh, they've done, and they will continue to do so many things for me. Chris Rich, every time I did a Duke game or a UNC game and you were there, you always came up, your hand was extended, you always had that bright smile on your face, and that goes back to the saying good things happen to good people. I'm not surprised that you're in the SOCON Tournament Championship game. I'm pulling for you. Uh, sorry, Mercer, but I'm pulling for you, Coach Rich. Hope you get it done and make it in the NCAA tournament and maybe shock some other giants. That would be incredible. Chris, thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, Dean. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Chris Rich. Another great story in coaching comes on the women's side. The top man for the Arkansas women's soccer team now in his eighth season is Colby Hale. And pretty much every year he puts Arkansas in the NCAA tournament. They're back again this year. We get to know Colby Hale, the head coach of the Arkansas women's soccer team. Continue to learn and build your coaching resume by attending one of United Soccer Coaches Winter Advanced Diplomas January 6th through the 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. United Soccer Coaches is conducting five advanced diplomas this January. The National, Advanced National, Premier, Advanced National Goalkeeping, and National Youth Diplomas. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash education to learn more about these courses and get registered today. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Great time of the year if you love soccer at any level, including college soccer, pro soccer. Great to visit with Chris Henderson with the Seattle Sounders. They win another MLS Cup. Great to visit with Chris Rich. What a job he's done. If they win the SOCON title on Sunday, they'll get in the NCAA tournament in his first year and a job that he took over about a week before the season started. Now in his eighth year at the University of Arkansas, coaching the great Arkansas women, Kobe Hale, kind enough to join us now. Kobe, thanks for being on the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, Kobe, you're doing a nice job there. You know, Arkansas over the years have had some pretty famous names. I think Janet Rayfield was there. I feel like maybe Marcia McDermott was there back in the day. I can't remember exactly, but they've had some big-time coaches, ups and downs. You've got this team Looking good. I mean, high ranking. You're in the NCAA tournament, and you're ready to go. It's hard to believe the NCAA tournament starts this weekend. But talk about what's made this year so special, Coach. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always the players, isn't it? You know, we've got a great group, both um, in terms of talent, but just in character, and they're fun to be around. You know, this is a group that I kind of joke with them. You know, Operation phased myself out of the program as well on its way. I mean, they lead this thing. And, you know, their standards are higher than mine. So um, it's, been, it's been a true joy to coach them. And uh, I couldn't, couldn't be happier for them with where we're at. And we still feel like we have some, uh, some, some games left to play. Coach, let's give some SEC love because, look, you've heard it. A lot of love for the ACC, even a lot of love for the Big Ten, a lot of love for Pac-12. Stanford's always good. UCLA's always good. But I'll tell you what, they play some big-time soccer, SEC women's soccer, a lot of great teams, the job that the Smiths have done at South Carolina over the years, and now you got your program back up there. Let's talk SEC soccer a little bit, Coach. Yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous a tremendous athletics conference in general, you know, and soccer's really on the rise. you got some programs. I mean, the Smiths have just 
done a fantastic job at South Carolina. You mentioned them. The level of consistency, um, they got themselves to a Final Four. You got G at A&M, uh, Becky at Florida. I mean, you got some, some legends right there. And then I think you've got some, some newer coaches, uh, you know, Darren at Vanderbilt's doing a tremendous job, West Alabama. So I think it's a program that is, um, you know, always competing to be the best soccer conference in the country and on the uptick. You know, I think uh, they're investing some money and, and the facilities are getting better and the recruiting's going tremendously. So, uh, I mean, Pumsky last year at Tennessee, they went to an Elite Eight, backed off some big teams. So, I mean, I, I think it, it took notice a little bit this year when we beat number one UNC who won the double. Um, you know, they beat Virginia a couple times to beat Florida State. I think we're the only team to beat them. And, you know, I think that, that caused some people to, to step up and notice, but it's something that we've kind of always known. I mean, we've got a lot of good players and coaches and programs in this league. All right, let's get to know you a little bit better. We know that you played collegiately at Oral Roberts. Talk about uh, where you grew up, uh, why you picked Oral Roberts, and then where you went before you got this great opportunity at Arkansas where you've now been for eight years. Yeah, sounds good. So uh, my dad was a, a fighter pilot in the Air Force, so I moved all around. I lived in 10 states. I lived in England a couple times. I was actually like a baseball, football, basketball player, um, kind of in middle school growing up, and then I moved to England my sophomore year of high school. hadn't really played a whole lot of soccer. Um, and then when I moved to England, I didn't really have much of a choice. So, uh, and I started playing soccer, then I moved back to Virginia my senior year of high school, and I had a decision to make. I was, a, I was an okay baseball player, probably better at baseball than I was at soccer, um, but I, I stuck with soccer, and I liked it. I loved the game. Um, I was recruited by a few schools, not super heavily. Um, ended up going to Oral Roberts. I actually couldn't tell you why. My visit actually didn't go that well. The, the coach stood me up on the visit. Um, you know, when I was supposed to meet with him, but, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you could say, you know, God's plan, whatever you want, I don't know, but I ended up at Oral Roberts, which was great, you know, and Kyle Cousin, who was uh, the Tulsa head coach, he was my assistant when I was there as a player on the men's side, and he got the women's job. So I worked, I worked in the business world for uh, a little while, um, and I just started coaching. I coached at Union High School on the boys' side, and I started doing some, uh, some girls' club, and then just kind of continued. Kyle asked me to be his assistant. So I gave up a pretty lucrative uh, uh, corporate job to, to become a soccer coach. So I was with Kyle Cousins for three years at Oral Roberts as his assistant. Um, and then I got the opportunity, a pretty cool one, to go be Amanda Cromwell, who's the UCLA coach, her assistant at UCF for nine years. And, you know, my time there was invaluable. She's a tremendous coach. Um, I learned a lot from her. Um, and, and each year she kind of gave me more and more responsibility, and I felt like, you know, I, I owe a lot to her in terms of uh, my readiness to be a head coach. Um, and it's funny, you know, I, in this world, I, had a, I applied for a lot of jobs. I really wanted to be a head coach, and, um, you know, I, I wasn't getting a lot of love. And then, um, you know, I've gone on some interviews and didn't get them, but then, then Arkansas called, and that was my first job. So I kind of joke, I think at that point they were just looking for someone who had the confidence mm -hmm. in himself that felt like they could do it, and, and I did, and um, I'm sure grateful for that opportunity. You know, if you listen to the podcast, I often ask male coaches when they said, hey, I wouldn't mind coaching women. I will say some of the names you dropped would inspire me to, to coach women. I mean, Amanda Krama we just had on the program. She's fantastic, and, and some of those other names you dropped there as well. But when did you know and like and say, you know what, I really enjoy coaching women? Yeah, I, I really do. You know, I, I think the reality of it is, is that was probably the opportunity that presented itself. And, you know, I've I just really enjoyed it. I think, I think coaching women is, it's a really, really cool challenge. I mean, their willingness to be part of something bigger than themselves is inspirational. Their ability to connect with each other is something that challenges me every day. Um, their capacity to work is unbelievable. I mean, it's just, you know, I think, 
Hey, you know, Anthony Dorrance has a lot of uh, talks on kind of um, some of those things, and, and I listened to him a lot when I was young. But, yeah, it's a tremendous opportunity. It's, a, it's an honor to get to coach him, and, um, you know, I learn stuff from them pretty much every day. You heard me mention some of those other names that coached at Arkansas. I say that because sometimes I feel like, unfortunately, Arkansas, uh, for some of the other sports, can get swallowed up by the powers of Alabama and LSU and Florida and, and Georgia. But yet in soccer, and obviously just women's soccer because they don't have a men's team, they've always kind of said, you know what, we take this serious. That had to be a draw as well because, and I know they take their softball serious too, but they've always taken their women's soccer pretty serious, right? You know, it was interesting. You know, there were some good names. Alan Kirk was here as well, and and um, I, I I don't know, I don't know, I couldn't speak to all of that. But you know, when I got here, they they kind of when I've asked them what their expectations were, they didn't really know, and they were pretty honest with me, and they said we'd like you to kind of tell us. They they were pretty educated. They said we know we've got some good coaches here. We've never really been good. They've never been to an NCAA tournament. They hadn't been to an SEC tournament in like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And so they just kind of said, hey, what should our expectations be? And I said, it's to win. You know, I can't, I can't tell you when or how long it's going to take, but I think we were willing to do some things that some of those other coaches weren't. You know, I think some people kind of have an ideal of what they want the game to look like. Um, and I wasn't as married to that, you know, and I was willing to, um, do some creative things to try to win some games. And, you know, we won some games, and as we won games, that's when we started getting better recruits, and as we won better recruits, we could evolve a little bit, you know. And so it's been cool. I read a book by Pep Guardiola called Evolution, and he talks about when he was at Barcelona, and then he had different players at Bayern Munich and how he kind of, like, married himself to a few ideals, but he adapted to the players he had. And that's something we're really proud of. You know, when I first got here, there were some players who were incredibly hardworking, um, and instead of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to – I can't wait to, like, get my own players. That's a common – you know, a lot of coaches kind of have this idea that I'm going to have to turn my roster over to win. Um, we just told our players, well, we're not going to do that. If you'll do what we ask you, we will win with you. And as a program that was, like, negative 46 goal differential before I got here, we went to the Sweet 16 in year two. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, like, like we get we get some, like, uh, uh, some criticism of how we play. You know, but I guess I guess I've always said, you know, hey, we won with the players were here. We used what God gave them um, to win some soccer games. Instead of dismissing them and telling them they weren't good enough, um, we, we 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 won with those players, and we've gone to seven out of eight NCAA tournaments. No one had ever gone before. And we're really proud of that. You know, we're, we kind of there's a book called Strengths Finder. We kind of took that approach with this program and said, okay, what are you good at, and how instead of instead of focusing on the things maybe they weren't good at or weren't capable of doing. We just focused on the things that maybe they could do, and we, and we tried to put those all together um, and win some soccer games, and I think we did. We're here with Colby Hale, the top man for the Arkansas women's soccer team, making yet another appearance in the NCAA tournament. Uh, if you could, Colby, what's the best way to describe Colby Hale's Arkansas women's soccer team as far as the style of play? What's the best way to describe that, Coach? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny, I was reading Pub Guardiola's book, and he said there's this need by other people to oversimplify your style, you know, and so I think I think that's a really cool question. The first thing is, we have five principles, and I'm not going to go over those, but we have five principles, and one of them is the press. We want the press better than anyone in the in the country, or even in the world, and there's some soccer out there, Red Bull, Liverpool, Barcelona, Man City, I mean, some of those teams are known for having the ball, but what they do without it, you know, I think uh, Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp both kind of have this philosophy that 40% of the of winning 
is your willingness to run without the ball. That's what we do. We, we work really hard in the press to win the ball and get spots and make it difficult for you. And then we score a lot of goals. You know, I think people kind of have this negative um, opinion of this world direct as if we're just kicking balls and hoping something good happens. I mean, clearly that's not what we're doing. Um, but we do want to, to get our attacking players the ball as often as possible. You know, and this year we scored 58 goals and we've only given up seven. And we're really proud of that. We take a lot of risks. We don't slip back in and get tons of numbers behind the ball. Um, we try to work together to press to win the balls in good spots. And then we try to um, get the ball for our good attacking players in positions where they can go and create chances and goals. Kobe, tell us about your first-round matchup in the NCAA tournament, who you play, when you play. We play, we play North Texas. Um, we play them at home at 630. Um, and we're excited. I mean, obviously, they're a good program. They've won a million conference championships, and we know they'll be a big challenge for us. Uh, but I think our players are ready. You know, we played a really tough schedule this year, and we've seen just about everything. Um, so while we certainly will have respect for their Texas and, and their success, um, I think we're, re- we're really ready to, to get out there and play again. The question I always ask everybody, particularly first-timers on the United Soccer Coaches podcast, the double M, mentors and memories. Who have been uh, some key mentors in your life and great memories? Usually they're tied together, Kobe, but uh, break that down for me if you can. Yeah, it's good. I mean, my, the biggest mentor would be Amanda Cromwell. I mean, she's a very, very talented coach, and I was with her for the longest period of time. Um, and I learned a lot from her. You know, she played on the national team. And the thing I pre- appreciated from her was everything we did was at tempo and competitive. And we created a team culture that, you know, really, really focused on competing. And she didn't necessarily have to do everything by the book. You know, there wasn't a cookie-cutter way to, to run a program. And she ran things a little different at times. She ran it as if she would want to when she was a player. And I really appreciated that and took a lot from it. And my biggest memory um, – I mean, the soccer memories are a, a million. My biggest memory with Amanda was my last year there. We went to the Elite Eight, um, and we beat UNC and Florida in the same weekend to go do that. Um, and my biggest memory here, there's a lot of them. I mean, beating Duke was three, four years ago. Our first real big uh, win in program history was huge in front of a huge crowd. Um, but there's, there's been a lot of them. I mean, winning the regular season this year in the SEC was something I think people didn't think was probably uh, possible and realistic, and these players made it happen. So those, those would probably be two of my biggest memories. Well, finally, you mentioned a lot of coaches that are really involved in United Soccer Coaches. Becky Burley devotes so much time to United Soccer Coaches. What has that organization meant to you and your development, Coach? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is crazy. It, when you go to the convention in particular and you see how many coaches from around the world and you lift, you go to some of the symposiums and the seminars and you listen to it, I mean, just what a cool opportunity is a reminder of we're in this all together. Um, and even though we may see things a little differently and how the game could be or should be played, I mean, there's just people from around the world that all have different goals and objectives and are working really hard to create those. I mean, you've got club coaches and high school coaches and pro coaches and college coaches and, you know, all kind of going to the same place to kind of continue perfecting their trade. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, what, a, what a great organization um, in terms of just connecting people and, and a good reminder that this is bigger than us, but also helping us continue to, uh, to master our trade. Kobe Hale really enjoyed this interview. The head coach for the University of Arkansas, the Razorback women's soccer team. They'll start NCAA tournament play 
against North Texas. Colby Hale, eight great seasons. Certainly enjoying his time there. We're enjoying watching you, Colby. Thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sticking with women's soccer, we wrap up the show with the head coach of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, the Mountain Lions. 19-0, seven straight weeks as number one in the country as far as the United Soccer Coaches D2 women's rankings. 19-0, they've got their conference tournament play, and you'll hear Sean Hudson say that anything short of a national championship in Pittsburgh in mid-December will be a disappointment as they've outscored the opposition 66-8 to en route to this 19-0 start. Sean Hudson, by way of Wales through Colorado, the head coach, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, Mountain Lions, women's soccer team. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I feel like the team today is winners. Chris Henderson, the legendary U.S. national teamer who spent a ton of time with the Colorado Rapids. I'll tell you why that's relative as you meet our next guest. Chris Rich got hired in July, started in August. He's one game away from making the NCAA tournament as the head coach for the UNC Greensboro men's soccer team. And Colby Hale, Arkansas. What a job he's done. They're back in the NCAA tournament. They got a really good team on the women's side, D1, but nobody's as good as our next guest, as far as this season at least, D2, the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, the Mountain Lions, women's soccer team, number one in the country, 19-0. and They are led in their third year by Sean Hudson. It's spelled S-I-A-N. We'll get to the bottom of that as well as Sean Hudson joins me now. He's the head coach of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, 19-0. and Coach, number one, 19-0. That sounds pretty good to me. How about you? Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> Definitely excited about the run that we're on at the moment and uh, just hoping to keep it going. Well, we're really happy to be with you. Love your story. You're from uh, the U.K. You're actually the, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, full international player to ever play for the Wales national team when you were 16 years old with which I know was just a couple years ago, Sean, so well done on that. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you make the decision in 2001 to come over to the United States. First of all, incredible to be kept that young. But tell us uh, what was the draw of the United States and how did you end up in Colorado? Yeah, you know, back, uh, back when I was playing in the U.K., women's football or soccer really wasn't well-respected. Um, and it was certainly a male-dominated sport, and I just wanted to live in a society and environment where, you know, female athletes, and in particular female soccer players, were championed um, and not, you know, dealing with sort of the negative perception that we had at the time. So I worked for a company, camp company called Challenger Sports, British Soccer. Um, I traveled over here every summer when I was in college. and just got the opportunity to, to sort of see 
what could you know what I could potentially be here and, and love the soccer culture here so um my international career at the time was sort of coming to a close because of six or seven knee surgeries and, and a couple of ACLs. Um, so I was sort of at a pivotal moment in my life where I was graduating college and just needed to make a decision on what to do, and, and I decided to, to come out to the States and pursue my passion for coaching. Yeah, you ended up in Colorado, which there's, you know, worst places to be. It's God's country, Colorado Springs. I started my career with USOC at Colorado Springs and still have amazing memories of that place. I absolutely love it out there. And you ended up as the Senior Girls Director of Coaching for the Pride Soccer Club. And you said initially, you know, maybe they weren't super competitive, but you turned them into a pretty competitive team. Just talk about landing there and the growth of Pride Soccer Club, please. Yeah, I actually um, stayed with an American family during a camp I ran in the Springs, and they gave me an opportunity to live with them. And so I think, as with anything in life, relationships build opportunities. I'm certainly thankful to them. Uh, Pride Soccer Club at the time only had one director of coaching for 5,000 kids, and I interviewed with a bunch of different clubs in Colorado and felt like... um, and felt like Pride was sort of an untapped resource at the time, and they were going through some restructuring. So I came in as the youth girls director for U11 through U13s, and, and over the course of the 13 years I was there, sort of worked my way up to be the senior girls director of coaching. Um, and then in my final two years with the club, I, I started up a women's semi-professional team, or the W League team at the time, and we were really successful and, and lost in the national championship game in 2015 to the Washington Spirit Reserves. So I think my time with pride from, you know, coaching everything from seven-year-olds up to international-level players with the W League just gave me that time to really hone in my coaching philosophy and, and just, you know, really decide where I wanted to be. And, and at the end of that W League season in 2015, you know, I made the decision to get into the college ranks and, here I am. <laughs> yeah, well, you also showed the capacity for administrative roles. You were the GM for the Colorado Pride W League team in the team's first two seasons. And then you also spent time at Colorado College, which is an esteemed program uh, for many reasons in women's soccer, before getting the call to join the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. So talk about your role as GM and then going to Colorado College and then getting the call to take over this fine program. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I, I learned to appreciate as a club director of coaching was, you know, the, the many difficult conversations you have to have with parents and, you know, learning how to get people to buy into your vision. I think there's no more difficult job than youth soccer parents for that. So definitely learned a lot and grew through that component of the game. Um, my general manager role with the W League, you know, I pretty much did everything from marketing Marketing to fundraising to coaching, recruiting internationally, you know, we we were able to bring together a, a phenomenal group of players, and we actually won the fran- rookie franchise of the year um, in 2014. We had over a 1,000 people, highest attendance in the league. Um, so that was just a memorable experience in 2014, and I definitely learned a lot on the event planning side of things. Um, we had 45 host families locally. And so just learning how to deal with players and their needs and and everything that went into, you know, we had professional players on the team at the time. We obviously had amateur collegiate players. And so there's a lot of uh, man management and just balancing um, of the roles. But that definitely gave me 
a different appreciation for what goes on behind the scenes and, and maybe showed me what a little bit of, you know, sort of the college game would be like with all the administrative aspects of things. And then getting the opportunity to go to, to coach at Colorado College, a good friend friend of mine, Jeff Bennett, is the head coach there, and, and he called me up. He had an opening and, and asked me if I would be interested, and I think the timing was right, and, uh, you know, I'm really, really thankful for that two years that I had at CC because I feel like it gave me an opportunity to learn and grow um, in a secondary role, and, you know, obviously recruiting is a large component of the college game. And so just learning all the NCAA rules, NCAA rules and, and how to recruit and just sort of the la- landscape of collegiate athletics, um, not just in this area but also across the country, was important. I know a lot of college coaches, you know, at the various levels from my time at the club game, um, a lot of those college coaches would come, you know, recruiting my top athletes. So, but I think being in college and actually learning how to deal with, you know, a really condensed season and how to rest and recover players and how to train what you need to get out of them in, in such a condensed period of time was, was a really good period of, of growing and learning and development for me at CC. So when you learned that this job was open at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, what do you remember about your excitement? What do you remember about the interview process? And then, Sean, what do you remember about uh, getting the call and saying, yeah, you got the job? Well, my husband is an alumni, so he played on the men's soccer team back in the late 90s. Um, And so UCCS has always been a school sort of close to our family's hearts. And, you know, I would drive past the campus on a daily basis on my commute to Colorado College and just watching the growth and the expansion of the campus over the last 10 years or so. Um, I always felt like it was a beautiful area of the country to live and a great school. You know, obviously academics are really good in the CU system. And having been on the club side of the fence here in the Springs for so long, I knew that we have, you know, we had a hotbed of players here that were always looking to go to other areas of the country to play. Um, So I just felt like it was a little bit of an untapped resource, almost like pride when I first came to the country. And I just felt like it was a school that I could taking a program I could take over and do great things with right away. Um, The interview process, uh, it was initially tricky to get through because I didn't have any previous collegiate head coaching experience. Um, So initially, um, you know, I certainly had to, to fight for an opportunity to get into the mix, so to speak. And then after that, I just felt like my my strengths and, and just the success that I've had at every level of the game sort of came to the forefront of, of the administration's mind and was really excited to be given that chance to lead the program. So when did you know that you had a really special team, particularly coming into this year? I'm looking at your stats here, Sean. 19-0, 13-0 in the conference, 11-0 at home, 8-0 away. 18 different players have scored at least one goal. You have three players on your team that have double-digit goals. Caitlin Hinkle got 10 goals, 4 assists. Tanner Sanders has 11 goals, 5 assists. Sinead Hopcroft, 13 goals, 11 assists. You've scored 66 goals and... I don't know what happened. You guys must have been slackers, but you happened to give up eight goals total. I can't believe you gave up eight goals, Sean. Um, <laughs> obviously, I'm having fun with you. 66 goals for eight against. That's a superpower right there. What a season. 
Yeah, you know, I, I would say that first and foremost, my, my coaching philosophy is, is based on attacking and, you know, fun soccer. I like to get the fans off their seats and I like to recruit players that are really sophisticated on the ball and for anybody that's seen our team play this season I think you know they would be really impressed with the way that we move the ball and obviously we have a lot of players that are contributing goals but I think a lot of that comes from our philosophy of you know the way that we attack and get numbers into the attacking area of the field so you know Caitlin Hinkle um, and Tana Sanders have come in this this year and and really led our line as freshmen and, and scored obviously double digit goals themselves but they've also created goals for others and I think just that you know freshman mentality to come in and make a difference says a lot about their character and their integrity and I spend a lot of time getting to know recruits on the phone and, and getting to know um, their coaches to make sure that the players that we're bringing in are not just good players but good people. And I think those two in particular have really risen to the challenge this season. Um, and Caitlin just scored the winning goal for us on Sunday um, in a really tight contest versus Westminster. Sinead, you know, I'm British myself, and so I'm really passionate about giving British kids the opportunity to come over to the States and and make that change in their life that I was able to make. I think there's so much um, to learn from this culture that we live in here in the States that's really driven by athletics. So Sinead has, has been somebody we've had on our roster for a year, but she redshirted last year due to an ACL injury. Um, and she's just a special talent. I mean, she's so gifted at what she does. She's exciting to watch. And just watching her movement off the ball and the things that she does on the ball, I think it gives the whole team an extra dimension. Well, I like that you mentioned her, and it made me want to kind of flash through your roster. And knowing your background, I was like, okay, I'm going to see a ton of players from overseas. But really, She's the only one, and you've got a ton of players from Colorado Springs in the Colorado area and then connecting states. I mean, you clearly said, hey, to the great young women in Colorado that want to stay in the area, I've got a great venue for you, and they've obviously accepted that with open arms. You've got a lot of great players from Colorado on your team, Coach. Yeah, I think one of the most important things to me um, as a coach as I go through sort of the recruiting process is to – when I was on the club side of the fence, I never really felt like the head coaches here of programs across Colorado were really passionate about keeping the best Colorado kids in Colorado. Um, and that was something that frustrated me as a club director and something that I always knew that if I got an opportunity at the collegiate level, that I just wanted to maintain a, a home base because I think representing your, whether it's your home city or your home state, there's just something additional about, you know, that loyalty and, and sort of that drive. Um, so while we have a huge number of kids that are, on, that are local on the roster, you know, next year we'll bring in some players to maybe diversify us a little bit more. But, but keeping a home base of talent um, and the excitement that that brings across the community. You know, I'm, this Saturday we'll get to host the AMAC Championship for the first time. And, you know, the soccer community is just buzzing right now. Because we have so many local kids on the roster, I think it just brings that, you know, additional excitement. We shouldn't be surprised you're 19-0. and 0. Your first year as a coach, you went 17-5-1. Last year you went 16-3-3. and 3. So, obviously, you hit the ground running. That's a lot of victories, Coach. Uh, knowing what you 
learned in those first two years at 19-0, and at number one in the country, even with that bullseye there, do you feel like you know what it's going to take to win a D2 championship this year? Yeah, you know, even though we were the Cinderella story in 2017 and, and people always talked about being, being the dark horse, you know, I was disappointed in 2017 we didn't win a national championship that year, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and then 2018 we were actually probably deeper in terms of talent, but we had an incredibly just unfortunate run of injuries last year. Um, and we were still able to have a, a good deal of success with that, but um, this year... You know, I think at this point, we certainly want to win an Omnic championship on Saturday, but, you know, I would be lying to you if I said that anything less than a national championship at this point would be a disappointment. That's incredible. So remind us all where the D2 National Championship Final Four is. Where is it? When is it? It is in Pittsburgh the weekend of December 12th to 14th. And obviously we've got some, you know, incredibly difficult games to get through. But, you know, as I've been preaching to the team over the course of the past couple of months, you know, pressure is a privilege, you know, and we're excited to have this target on our back. And, uh, you know, the long-term vision and the long-term goal is is to establish this program as a a national contender year in, year out. And I think over the course of the last three years, we've been able to to put our name out there. And, And this year to hold the national ranking for, I think, our seventh week of number one, um, I think just shows a lot about, you know, sort of the drive and the determination, not only of the women's soccer program, but UCCS athletics in general, just to, to sort of change who we are and, and to put ourselves on that national map. Let's go back to those early days before the knees gave way and the, getting the call-up for the Wales national team at 16, playing with, you know, grown women. Take us back to those days and what that was like. Yeah, you know, the the landscape then at the time, I was actually playing on a boys' team, a local boys' team, and, and was told at age 12, as soon as you hit your 12th birthday back then in the U.K., that you couldn't play soccer on a co-ed team anymore. So I remember laying in the bathtub and begging my mom to start a women's or a girls' team, <laughs> which she did. And, uh, you know, my mom sort of became one of the pioneers in Wales for women's soccer and... You know, now it's great to see sort of a, a fully-fledged program. Um, but back at the time, there was maybe only four or five really good teams in Wales. And so every weekend, we would cross the bridge into England and, and go and take on some of the best English teams. And my my club at the time won promotion five years in a row for us to get into the second tier of professional soccer in England and uh, you know obviously to represent your country in any sport at any level is an honor and was thrilled to not only play for my country at every age group but to captain my country as well um, and at 16 I, I did become the, the youngest full international player at the time but I only got three games three international caps before I tore my first ACL and then I came back played four games and tore my second ACL And so, you know, during that period of time, I'm a firm believer that, you know, one door closes and another door opens. And and during that time, I really dedicated myself to the coaching side of things. And um, once once I sort of defined that my my career wasn't going to be what I hoped it would be at the time and and sort of lost a, a yard of pace and I wasn't a player, after my injuries that I was before, I'm a really competitive person. And so I just decided to take my life in a different direction and I stepped back from from playing and decided to come over to the States and 
and see what I could do for myself in the coaching side. I like that you shared the story about how your mom made a major influence in keeping your career going when they said they couldn't play boys anymore. Obviously, your mom had to be part of the equation in, in naming you Sean and spelling it S-I-A-N. I get it because you're over in Wales. It's going to be spelled differently, and it's not like there's no Sean's over here that are women. Sean Johnson's pretty famous Sean name, but just talk about the, what you know about uh, why they named you Sean and the spelling because it's awesome. <laughs> Well, I'm from Wales originally, and, and Sean is a Welsh name, and the English translation of Sean is Jane. So I definitely get called Cyan a lot. Um, <laughs> I've decided to give up on fighting that battle and, and just accept it and smile. Um, so, yeah, my Welsh heritage is, is certainly something that's incredibly important to me. Um, and I think, you know, our our flag is a dragon, and I think that I've got a little bit of fire in my belly to to prove to everybody that, you know, whether, you know, whether it's myself coming into, you know, different aspects of the game or whether it's UCCS that's probably looked at as an underdog um, in the Division Two national sort of powers. I think I've always had this little bit of a chip on my shoulder to, to take an underdog, underdog, if you will, and and fight to show those big dogs out there that, you know, we can come out there and, and compete. Two more questions, and we'll let you go. As uh, we are talking with Sean Hudson, the head coach of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, the Mountain Lions, number one in the country, D2 women, and clearly set to try to win a national championship in Pittsburgh mid-December. As you know, Sean, you learned it uh, as an assistant coach. you got to have a great coaching staff. Talk about how you put together your coaching staff. Yeah, you know, there's – there's so many honors that come out with, you know, Coach of the Year was a recent one, and, you know, no coach can ever be a great coach without a, a phenomenal staff, and I definitely have that. And Lindsay Balcone is my assistant coach, um, sort of my right-hand woman, if you will, and she came into um, the college coaching arena last year when she moved to Colorado from Cincinnati. Um, and so she's been with me. This is her second season, and Lindsay does a, a phenomenal amount of work um, for the program. She's a strength and conditioning coach. She does a lot of work on the field technically with the girls, clipping film, everything. And then Mike Archuleter has also been with me since day one. He's my goalkeeper coach. Um, he actually played on the UCCS men's team with my husband and was coaching here at the Air Force Academy and, and wanted to come home to UCCS when I got the job. So... Those two um, do a phenomenal job. And then we have a support staff. Great, uh, Kaylin Smith is our GA. She played at the University of Washington and Virginia Tech, so she brings – and then played with us last year for her last year of eligibility. So she just brings a great perspective for the players um, on sort of all the, the different levels and, and just sort of their outlook and how they need to, you know, be professional in their preparation. Um, and then Hannah Levitt, Cole Oren, um, and Mark Archambault do a lot of work for us um, as volunteer assistants. They're, you know, huge in the local community. Hannah and Cole coach for Pride still to this day. Um, so it's just, you know, again, a, a great team, and, and I think that's the biggest thing that I can say about my staff is we're a great team um, in addition to the team. You mentioned great team. I think it's just a great time to be involved in women's soccer, the USA win another World Cup, NWSL, great attendance. We're seeing outstanding attendance for women's 
college soccer as well. We'll end it kind of with just a general question about uh, also a great time to be part of United Soccer Coaches because they, they care so much about women and diversity and particularly promoting women to coaching jobs like the one you have. Can you just talk a little bit about what education and perhaps what United Soccer Coaches has meant to you? Yeah, you know, I think the United Soccer Coaches do a great job of just sort of publicizing our game and our sport and, and just giving coaches of both genders and all ages just sort of a platform to have a voice um you know, obviously the, the rankings that come out on a weekly basis generate a lot of publicity and excitement. And, you know, watching this, the selection show yesterday for Division One and Division Two next week, I think that there's just a, a buzz, you know, about the women's game at the moment. Obviously I'm British, so seeing 77,000 people at Wembley last week for England versus Germany was, you know, uh, you know put a... <laughs> put a tear in my eye to be honest just to see how the game has transformed in the UK and and then everything that's happening here with the, the United States women's team and, and just sort of the excitement um, you know winning the World Cup in the summer and, and just sort of the platform and how the women's game is evolving with equal play and just additional opportunities you know I'm a mom as well and so you know, I hope one day when my 10-year-old gets to that point, you know, whether it's in sports or in life in general, that she has the opportunity to go out there as a female in any professional setting and improve herself and earn what she, you know, should rightly get. So it's just an exciting time, I think, to, to be a female and certainly to be a female athlete or a female coach. Well said, Sean Hudson. I certainly enjoyed it. As I told you, I loved my time in Colorado Springs. Great memories. So to see a team number one in the country, 19-0, and 0, and then to be able to spend some quality time with you, I certainly appreciate it. And I can tell you our listeners on the United Soccer Coaches podcast will appreciate it as well. Keep it going. Make it all the way to Pittsburgh and bring it home. Okay, Sean, congrats on all your success. Thanks, Dean, and, and thank you to the listeners. Thank you to Sean, Chris Henderson, Chris Rich, Kobe Hale. Another great show. also want to thank Sean Chevreau, Mike Knipper with United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them and each and every one of you, I'm Dean Linke. See you same time, same channel for another edition 